Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Isn't it rich? Are we a pair? Why so serious? Me here at last on the ground. You in midair. Blah, 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 blah. Send in the clowns. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 32 Fans Movie Pod. Uh, this is a special episode. Uh, not like all of our episodes aren't special, but you know, this one isn't a month end typical podcast that we do. But today we're coming to you to talk to you about the newest superhero movie blowing up the box office right now, Joker. And I'm joined here with Av Sininsky and Zach Brooks. Say hi, guys. Howdy. Hey, everyone. And today we're just going to talk about our general, uh, very spoiler-heavy thoughts on the movie. If, if you haven't seen the movie, why are you listening to this? If you haven't seen it by now, are you really going to? <laughs> uh, so let's just jump right into it, guys. I can't believe, like, when you said, you know, box office sensation. And just from what I've seen, I can't believe this movie made so much money. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I know it's a superhero movie, but... This thing is it talk about really? paying off from the controversy. It's like my goodness. Yeah, it, it's really not even that much of a superhero movie. It's like it's just like The King of Comedy, Taxi Driver. It's just with face. This paint. is the only way you can make like a decent budget drama and get people to go see it is by putting supervillain's name on it. I mean, do you think that it would have even made this much money if there wasn't months and months of articles about it? I don't know. I feel like you make a movie about a, a character like the Joker and people are just going to go flock to it. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Joker has just had this hold on people for decades now, whether it was, you know, the, the Nicholson Joker or the Heath Ledger Joker. You know, I, I even remember how much anticipation there was for The Dark Knight. Like people were talking about Heath Ledger's performance and that and how amazing it was going to be. I think it's just for for whatever reason, the Joker is just this enigmatic captivating character who because he's so shrouded in mystery just has this hold over our imagination unlike any other villain out there and you know i was i couldn't wait to see this movie i was anticipating it all year it was up there probably my top three or four movies of the year that i was looking forward to i think a lot of people felt the same way especially when you see it you know it won the top prize at venice which means that like it's at least decent and then there's all this controversy and backlash which is only going to add to the excitement around it and you know it's not surprising what to make a hundred million dollars in the first weekend for I, I think a small worldwide, budget it's made 234 million wow so yeah that's uh yeah. that's uh that's really impressive um you know I, I think one thing that's like interesting to talk about this movie is like to what extent the fact that it takes place in a superhero universe did that make the movie better and in what ways did it make the movie worse um because i kind of hear both sides of it and there were different points in this movie where i kind of felt one way and then switched around to the other and then switched all, all the way back to the original. So curious what you guys thought. I yes. was just glad that we got to see uh, Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne get murdered. Oh yeah. I mean, we, I was really wondering seen, about yeah, that. We've, we've never seen that before. So, you know, that's great that we finally got to see uh, Batman's origin story. Yeah. Really wondering uh, how he got so messed up, you know, like starting with general thoughts. I, I liked this movie. I didn't love it. Um, I thought Joaquin Phoenix's performance was really great. As everyone is saying, I love the score um, I thought I thought the writing was pretty good. Um, I think most of my issues with the movie came down to sort of the, just the presentation of it and the fact that it had to force itself to adhere to these superhero conventions. 
Yeah, I think I would I would kind of agree with that. That kind of to the extent I liked the way because you know where it's all headed in terms of like it's called Joker and you know who this guy is going to be and we know so much about the things he's done over the years. You know, even though it's not all the same contiguous universe, like you kind of have a sense of this character. So we kind of built up those like first half two thirds of the movie where he's not yet the Joker. Uh, because you know where it's going, it kind of puts more at stake. If it was just totally detached and just a, a regular standalone movie that had nothing to do with that shared universe. Um, at the same time, I thought it was like a little too over the top like, with just like, as we mentioned, like the scene with Batman's parents and just like little like things here and there where I was just like, okay, you didn't really need to like go that far into doing it. But I guess, you know, if, if they're doing an origin story, you got to do something to an extent. But I thought that it was kind of just a little heavy handed at times the way they just kind of had to shoehorn in all of the, you know, Batman details. I'm kind of on the other side of the coin from the two of you. I, I really was not into this movie very much. And I thought I, you know, I thought I would be. I like most comic book movies. I like all the movies that are referenced in this movie's based on. Um, but I found myself just rolling my eyes quite a bit in this movie and um, really didn't like the end. And we can kind of get into the end at some point on this podcast. But um, I think if the movie would have ended right after Arthur addresses the camera after uh, murdering Robert De Niro's character. Um, and it would have just cut from there. I think I would have liked the movie a little bit more, but I 100% agree. I, I just thought, thought the, that end scene was a mess. I thought the, the movie was going to end with uh, him just like going up to the camera and I was like, ah, oh, this is perfect. And then it just keeps going for another like five to 10 minutes and it should not have. <laughs> no, so I, just, I really felt that the end, um, especially not the very last scene, but you know, right before the, the coda on the movie where, uh, Joker is standing on the car and there's, you know, this whole riot of people around him and they're they're all kind of admiring him. And whether that was his perspective of it or what that was actually happening, it just the way it presented the consequences for all of Joker's actions throughout the movie, it just felt like it was really like glamorizing him and making you kind of root for him. Yeah. Um, but he yeah. did some terrible, terrible things in this movie. I liked the movie when it was just sort of a, a study of this character, a, like a study of this very... Uh, damaged man. Uh, he didn't have a tattoo to tell us he was damaged, so I was a little I was a little confused about that. But I think the movie is at its worst when it's showing his impacts on society and how like this character became like an accidental anarchy figurehead when that really had no attachment to the arc of the character itself. Yeah, I um, I and I I'm a huge fan of um, Taxi Driver, and I I saw King Comedy maybe like five or six years ago and really liked it. I don't know. I thought this this movie did more than just borrowing from those two movies. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, Taxi Driver is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, I actually just rewatched it in the last week as I read one of those articles that was like, here's seven movies to watch before you see Joker. So naturally, I watched uh, almost all of them. And this movie is like totally derivative of Taxi Driver and of King of Comedy, which also is one of my favorite movies. So Both with Robert De Niro. So I mean, that, was, De Niro. that was a cool touch. And I like that they borrowed the finger movement from the end of Taxi Driver. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, yeah. Happened a couple times. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of network references in this movie, which is another, you know, classic 70s movie. Todd Phillips is clearly very strongly trying to tap into that, you know, 70s vibe and aesthetic, um, you know, of like uh, New York City from those days, although, you know, technically it's Gotham. But, you know, really all this movie is, is taking the Travis Bickle character and like kind of like changing him a little bit and casting it onto the Joker, who's a character we know really well, and kind of shoehorning that in as an origin story for the Joker, which, and I, and I thought it was mostly effective as, at that. I thought, 
you know, as we said, Joaquin Phoenix is, he's Joaquin Phoenix. You know, there, there's very few people that could have pulled off this role. I think one of you mentioned the plot and the, the screenplay of this movie were not the greatest. And this, the movie is totally relies on Joaquin Phoenix's ability to just portray this character and become him. And, you know, the scenes where he's dancing and just the way he moves his head, the way he moves his back, you just like, you get the full sense of this character's life and just like what a nebby sick person he is at the beginning part of this movie that makes you just very sorry for him and kind of takes the Joker who's you know this evil character and you kind of turn his story into more of a sad tragic one than just a maniacal evil one yeah absolutely uh, switching gears a little bit, what did you think about the Joker's relationship with the character played by Zazie Beetz, Zach? So I don't know if that was supposed to be a surprise that you know he was imagining everything. Were you guys surprised that he was imagining the whole relationship with her? I was not surprised. Um, I mean, part of that could have been because I knew it was like kind of tied into King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. I was expecting there to be mm. these kind of like dream sequences. And I thought that one just like if you if you knew to be on alert for any sort of scene like that, it was like very obvious that that's what was happening. Yeah, I was just sitting there and I'm like, where did her daughter go this whole time? And like, why is she like all of a sudden so into this guy and just like he's clearly like socially very awkward. So I'm like, what is what is she into him for? Yeah, um, it just it didn't make any sense. No. Did you did you were you surprised by that? Will? I wasn't really surprised when it happened. I hadn't really been like thinking too much about it. Uh, like when they were together, I was like, I guess she's just into weird guys. I don't know. Uh, but then I felt like once you saw her, like seeing this guy in her apartment, you immediately realize, oh, mm-hmm. he's just been imagining this this whole time. But then they feel the need to go back and show you every scene they were <laughs> yeah, in together. That was so unnecessary. <laughs> the, like, that was a reference to the Sixth Sense, I believe. It was just, yeah, you know, wanted like, you to see all that. Yeah, uh, we got it, Todd Phillips. You didn't need yeah. to tell us. And there were several times during the movie where you're supposed to assume that it's really happening. And then it turns out that this is just in his head. You know, when he goes early on in the movie, we see that he's like in the audience at the Robert De Niro show. I'm, I'm sorry, I remember the guy's character in the name. And then it becomes clear that like that wasn't real. He was just watching it on TV and imagining himself at the show. I, I, I did love that scene. That was one of the few scenes in this movie that I thought was really well done. Yeah, and so I, and, I, and as you mentioned before, you know, I, I think there's like a, a large extent we're supposed to question a lot of what we what we saw in the movie and whether it really happened. Um, you know, as you mentioned, like this, the movie literally ends with him in a mental ward, and I, I think some people are adopting the theory that possibly the entire movie was just like him telling this story to a psychiatrist and arguably made up the entire thing. And I, I really hope that that's not what was intended because I really don't like when movies do that. Um, but I think we, we are intended to question a lot of what we saw presented as fact. Um, in particular, I think that last scene, as you re- referred to earlier, where, you know, he's kind of held up on the, on the cars afterwards and like made this hero of this, you know, populist movement with people riding in the street. Um, I thought that probably we're supposed to think that that didn't really happen. And that was really more in his head. And I'm not sure to what extent we're supposed to think that he really ever was this inspiration for this and rather rather than the other way around that he kind of latched on to something that was already going on Um, yeah i do think the problem with that theory and my brother kind of um who i seem to bring up every time on this podcast he he seemed to give me a similar theory because he really likes this movie and he was saying you know you're not supposed to really believe most of what you're seeing and a lot of it is in his head the problem there is that if that last scene especially that last riot scene is in his head um why do we get the clip of um somebody from the riot murdering the Waynes because he wasn't included in that at all. That wasn't from his perspective. So like, why would he, if if that was all kind of from his perspective, 
why would we be seeing that? So here's what I would say to that. And I think that it's, it's a little bit more nuanced in, in that I don't necessarily think that the things didn't happen. It's just might be like a skewed perspective on it. So like maybe he was there, but he wasn't lifted up as the hero. Because um, I, th- I think there's like a lot of examples in the movie and specifically the ones where we see that he was like hallucinating where the things that he do are happening, but it's just like the way that, that people respond to him is what was pretend. Like the, mm-hmm. like the girlfriend, for example, or, you know, imagining that all the people in the audience and Robert De Niro like, were all like embracing him and, you know, saying, you know, I, you know, if you could, if I had a son, I would want him to be like you. Um, and like, he's specifically like, there's a thing that he writes in his diary. I don't behave the way that people expect me to behave, something like that, um, which, you know, plays into this whole idea that he has, he has this condition where he laughs uncontrollably at the at inappropriate times and he can't stop. He doesn't understand the right way to interact with people. And as a result, people don't respond to him in the way that like he expects. You know, I would say, I think it's not quite that like it's totally invented, but more that like he's viewing the way that people are relating to him different than they actually are. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I do like that read a little bit better because it does kind of tie in the whole thing about him imagining um, the relationship with the woman earlier in the movie, but you know, it's it's a little bit better of a read on it that it was from his perspective. I just wish we got a a couple more clues that that was the case. If so, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it definitely could have been tighter. And I think you know, because this movie is so heavily about like mental illness and these delusions and that sort of stuff. You know, I, I think well, what the movie is trying to do at least is put you in the headspace of a person who can't tell what's real and what's not, and what he's hallucinating and what's actually happening around him, and. You know, I, I think it was pretty successful at that, that, you know, it kind of does throw you off kilter at a bunch of times where you're like, wait, did that really happen? Or what's going on? Is this real? Is it not? <laughs> it sounds like a terrible way to live. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so switching gears a little bit, um, we mentioned the inclusion of the uh, Thomas Wayne, obviously, is a big character. And Bruce Wayne uh, is in the film, sort of. I don't think I don't remember him saying much of anything. Um, but just just walking up to the fence and getting, yeah, just walk up to the getting fence. Hand, random hands put in his mouth. Yeah, being pretty okay with it, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you guys think about um, uh, how they included that in the movie? So, I feel like, especially the scene at the end, which you know we've talked about that a lot, but um, that felt like that was like almost came from the studio where they were like, "Oh, you got to include this, um, you know, this to make sure people know it's a Batman. It's related to Batman." Absolutely, um, yeah. But the rest of the way they tied it in with the, you know, potentially Thomas Wayne being his father and his mother working for Thomas Wayne and um, her having issues and, and delusions because of that. I thought that that was okay. I mean, it didn't blow me away, but I, you know, I, I wasn't distracted by it that it was like, oh, this is Mr. Batman, you know, things like that. Do you guys have a take on like, you know, who was telling the truth about that? Or is it, you think it's just like totally ambiguous and there's no way to know whether he's really the father or whether his mom is crazy and she adopted him or something in between? I feel like from the whole scene of him finding like her mental patient records, we're, we're supposed to believe that she had been fabricating all of that. Yeah, and, that was that was kind of my read on it, too. And not that, you know, Thomas Wayne is this super powerful person who could basically have someone locked up and things for, falsified. So that way, you know, if this if, if she's telling the truth that like it seems like that's a good chance of what would happen is like he would never let it see the light of day. Yeah, I guess that is fair. Um, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but um, it's a good point that he is a very powerful man. Uh, he if he didn't want that to get out, he probably would. Uh, just falsify these mental mental patient records yeah when he uh when he shows up there like alfred knows like immediately who he is 
Yeah. And, you know, yeah. when he when he confronts Thomas Wayne in the bathroom, like he doesn't react to him like, oh, this is someone who like has a crazy mother and he's clearly off to and like I should try to get him some help. He views him as a threat very clearly. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, diehard Batman fans would probably hate that idea. Um, I don't know enough about the Batman continuity, but yeah. I think the idea that Thomas Wayne is the Joker's father, I think would drive Batman fans absolutely wild. Yeah. So, so what I thought was interesting, and again, playing into the theme about like, you know, what's real and what's not. So you mentioned earlier that they specifically show that somebody else is who killed the Waynes. And it's specifically someone in a Joker costume who, you know, you know, presumably is inspired by him. I know that in at least the 1989 Jack Nicholson Batman, he takes responsibility for having killed the Waynes. And I thought it was interesting that like, to the extent that there would be a follow up to this movie, you would potentially have this Joker character who has this like bizarre obsession with Batman and Bruce Wayne with totally fabricated in his head because of like some story his mom told him that's potentially totally made up. And the idea that if we then saw him also taking credit for having killed the Waynes and kind of like making Batman into his foe in that way. And again, just like it's just like very Joker to like have like this entirely fabricated backstory that like he just like convinces himself to have this crazy obsession with. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of that, I I'd definitely be apprehensive about a sequel being made of this movie, even though I was a fan of it. And I'd like to see Joaquin Phoenix do more as this character. I, I'm just not really sure how well this movie really lends itself to a sequel. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I, I don't think that there will be a sequel or should be a sequel. I was kind of just like, you know, just... Well, two hundred billion dollars might have something to say. Yeah, about that. I mean that, that, that's fair, fair enough. You know, they they might not have intended a sequel until they saw the box office, and now they'll have no choice. I would say I do enjoy this like trend that we've been having now. Well, like between this and Logan, I don't know if there's been other examples. I love Logan, but of what? just like a superhero movie or a comic book movie that is more like just like a regular movie, whether it's a Western or a character study or this or that, that just kind of takes place against the backdrop of a comic book universe. Um, I think there's just like a lot of potential there. And you know what, if that's the price we pay to have to see quality movies, because you know, studios need to make these movies that lots of people are going to see, then I think there's a lot of opportunity there for quality stuff. Yeah. And I don't think it's just comic books. I think it is, you know, all sorts of existing internet intellectual property. Yeah. I mean, we're going to see a Breaking Bad movie in a couple days coming out, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah. And, that, and that's directly related, but still it, it seems like it's kind of a one-off just about one of the characters from Breaking Bad. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure Star Wars is going to start doing stuff like this, just like smaller stories that you know, especially once Disney Plus launches, and they'll have an endless array of of Star Wars content coming out. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, it's just it, it makes a lot of sense that not everything needs to be on like this huge canvas just because it's taking place in a comic book world. Yeah, absolutely. There's you know that's how Agents of Shield became a thing, pretty much. Yeah, and I mean we do have another Batman movie coming. Um, I don't know if it's next year or in 2021. Yeah, the Robert Pattinson one. Yeah, which which it doesn't sound like that's going to be tied into this. Although, you know, the age that Batman was when this took place might line up with the age that uh, Batman will be in that movie. But I hope that this is this is unrelated. Yeah, I hope it's just sort of like a separated uh, continuities sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I would suspect that this is going to be just a, its own thing. Yeah, but I do, you know, like you brought up Logan and I do like the kind of more artistic take on comic book movies. I, I, one thing I really appreciated about this is that this movie did not end in some sort of big climactic battle. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, like that, it just seems like so many of the superhero and, and blockbusters in general just follow that same pattern of like build up, build up, then huge battle at the end and fallout. Did you like the mid credit scene with uh, Penguin? 
<laughs> you know, I actually sat in my seat and Googled, uh, does Joker have a post-credit scene before I got out of the theater and I saw there was nothing. Oh, so, so. so I have this incredible app. I use this app called RunP. Oh, I've heard about that. The main, the main purpose of it is to tell you good places to go pee during the middle of the movie, which wow. is a huge problem for me. So I must have that app. But it also will tell you post-credit and end-credit scenes, whether there are any, et cetera. And, and it also it tells you like the real time the movie is going to end, which is always very helpful to know. So I highly recommend it. just to tell it. you how many minutes of uh, trailers there are before the movie starts. That, that's um, also useful. I'm not sure it tells you that, but that I think also can vary. Like, I think right, it, I think that, it depends on the theater. It depends on the theater. It depends when you're seeing it. Like there'll be more opening night than there will be if you see it in two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so there wasn't an end-credit scene because I just, I just left. No, there no, wasn't. There was that, was, that was a joke. Okay, good. I was like, oh, shoot. I should have I didn't that. think that there would be, but I was like, you know, I don't know. And I didn't even like the movie, so I don't know why. I was like, oh, I got to stick around for the post credit scene in case there is one. <laughs> well, got to be part of the conversation. You know? Right, yeah. I, I mean, it's, you know, I, I got to know what's going on. Yeah, I got to be in the know. So wh- one thing that I didn't love about the movie is that I thought that the way that other people reacted to him was just like not appropriate in that even like those like douchebag wall street guys like they should have realized sooner than they did that this guy is just clearly crazy and he's like sitting alone by himself in a clown costume laughing like just like walk away from that guy and the same thing with thomas wayne assuming that he isn't really his father and he was just you know approaching that like in good faith you know he should realize this guy is probably nuts like why are you punching him in the face and I don't know if that was just like, you know, I guess they build up that, you know, everyone's kind of on edge in Gotham these days because there's just so much crime. So like anyone kind of looks at you funny, you might hit them. But I don't know. That just It just seemed like people were like too quick to get angry with him when it should have been clear, you know, this guy is mentally ill and just either leave him alone or get him some help. Yeah, I thought with the Wall Street guys, I thought it was implied that they were just really drunk. And so they were just sort of doing whatever they thought was yeah, I mean, I guess, right, I guess, because, like, it was implied that they were going to uh, try to do something to that woman before yeah. he got involved. So I guess maybe they were just, you know, so gone that, you know, no matter what, um, there was going to be an, an interaction with somebody. But I don't know, that was just, like, one pet peeve I had about the movie. Just One of you- my, uh, one of my the favorite lines I saw in, in a couple of the reviews I read, I don't remember, if, it was either Glenn Weldon's review um, on NPR, which that was, I thought that nailed exactly how I felt about this movie in uh, a much better way than I did. Um, I think it was his review, but it said the biggest error in this movie was assuming that these Wall Street guys would know the second verse of Send in the Clowns. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fair. It's yeah, a yeah, very fair good. point. I do, I do recommend reading that review. Um, it, it sums up kind of more of the issues I had with this movie than I can say on the podcast. Yeah. Um, two, like, just like two ideas that I thought it did a good job of portraying. Number one was like, we always have this idea that, like that, if if you if you just chase your dreams, like even if everyone tells you you have no shot, like you should just keep doing it, and that's a good thing. It just like it did a good job of of just kind of like crashing against against that trope and saying like well, no, not really. Some people just aren't good, and they shouldn't waste their lives pursuing something that is just never going to happen. And yeah. even his even his mom is like, don't you have to be funny to be a comedian? Yeah, yeah. that was such a such a uh, subtle burn. It was a good burn. Yeah, I, I do feel like you know everybody's saying like this movie shows like that we need to take care of people who are mentally ill and things like that. But I also feel like the flip side of that is like this movie stigmatizes it so much where it's like if we don't they're going to turn into murderous rioters like the Joker did. Yep. Those are the only two, the only two outcomes. Right. (laughs) I thought it was very similar to taxi driver in that, like you kind of just like look at the environment that it creates and the type of person that it gives you. And it just says like, 
yeah, like this is kind of inevitable if you kind of structure society in a certain way and you have people who go through certain life experiences and are coded a certain way, you know, a certain number of them are going to turn violent and we should at least, you know, be thoughtful about that and figure out, you know, how are we going to account for those people that kind of slip through the cracks to the fringe of society because of, you know, structures that we put in place. And throughout the movie, I was like, I found myself just like thinking about that idea. Uh, what did you guys think about the scene where uh, the Joker's two two old coworkers from the cl- the clown place like show up at his house and he just randomly decides to murder one of them? Uh, because I I felt like that was just sort of there to show how crazy the Joker is. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it did certainly make me think that. Wow, that guy's really crazy. So yeah, it, it, I thought that when they showed. Um the little person that he worked with, and I don't remember what the character's name was, where he couldn't get out of the apartment because the deadbolt mm-hmm. was too high up. Um, that was just like a really sad scene. Yeah. Felt really bad for him. Yeah, me too. I I definitely thought he was going to just do that as like a setup to kill that other guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like a horror setup. Uh, the, the, scariest, the scariest scenes of the movie was that, when like you're like, oh no, is he going to kill him now? And then when he drops the gun in the children's oh hospital, I like, yes. I, stop, I stopped breathing. I'm like, oh my God, if one of these kids gets shot, I'm walking out. Like, I can't. Yeah, my, my jaw hit the floor. Like, it, I, at that scene, I was like, like that was still when I was like, all right, this is, this is pretty good. And that scene, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this scene. It's so intense. I thought it also did a good job of just kind of putting a light on that, you know, when you have these kind of like fringe movements that like inevitably there's always going to be like certain types of like crazy or violent people that latch onto that and kind of dress the same way and wear the same clothes and say the same things to kind of like latch onto something to be a part of something. And then, you know, how much then do you blame the movement for kind of like these side people? Cause like every, every movement's going to have like fringe bad actors. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that was something that either of you thought about at all. Yeah. I thought it showed up, um, especially with like the clown masks all over the place, um, which those clown masks got produced really quickly. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and maybe uh, that points to some of this being in his head where he's seeing these clown masks, these people that identify with him all over. Um, yeah, that that they're not really wearing clown masks. Yeah, and there's one one scene in particular where he's trying after cops are looking for him and he runs onto the subway and everyone's wearing the clown masks and he's just wearing the makeup and he takes a mask and puts a mask over his mask. What I what I thought about it was like when someone is like him and like mentally ill and just like trying to fit in like the the layers upon layers of masks that a person has to put on to try to fit in and it's not like you you might be going three four layers down until you see the real person. Yeah, so really with point. with that scene um, in particular. I thought, you know, if this movie is trying to say something, they have a scene in here where a cop kills an innocent person. Um, they probably could have done a little bit more exploration with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't feel like they really said anything about about society. It definitely felt like it was trying to provoke a lot of reactions from people. Yeah. But um, that might have just been so there were lots of articles written about the movie. Yeah, people have takes about this movie. I don't know if you guys saw. It's, that's what I've heard. Yeah, I'll say that I'm I'm still completely perplexed by the whole like this is going to cause people to be violent take, you know, I you know, I, there's been much more violent movies and I get there's like the whole like where you're, they make you feel bad for him, but like I couldn't believe when I saw the movie that I was like this is what people were so worried about. I didn't go yeah. not Yeah, it's quite. definitely less so in the movie than the like beforehand stuff, but part of like where I kind of get that is that there was actually a mass shooting at a Batman movie within the last decade, so it's like, 
I mean, it's not the same and it's, you know, I, I don't think you can, you know, it's a whole different argument, but like you can't hold up media and say this is causing these things to happen, but I get like the kind of trepidation around it. Yeah, and like because of it, like I was like, there were points during the movie where I was like nervous and I'm like sitting there in my theater and I'm like, well, come on, like nothing's going to happen. But like, oh, <laughs> all, so, I heard for, so actually, all I heard for the last week, I was like, now I'm, like, I'm, I'm looking up at the exits every like five minutes to make sure no one's coming in. <laughs> yeah, like the, so the theater I saw it in was like a small theater in mid-Michigan. So like not in a big market, but one of the pixels was out at the beginning of the movie on the screen. So there was like a red dot in the middle of the screen oh, for the oh, first like geez. five, 10 minutes. And I was like, uh what is this <laughs> there was a point where i was like i'm gonna like not recline just in case i could like jump down into the aisle but i'm not gonna tell the people i'm with to do that because that would be crazy <laughs> you saw it in a big theater in new york i'm assuming um not a huge theater but like a decent sized one in long island probably like 150 people not like one of those like crazy theaters oh, okay that's like our biggest theaters here 150 people yeah, there were about 30 people in the theater I saw it in. But I did see it at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. So Nice. Yeah, I saw it at, uh, I think, like the 6 p.m. Thursday show. And there were like 15 people there. <laughs> but uh, they seemed to really enjoy it. I th- everybody at my theater just kind of sat there after it was over. Like a lot of times I feel like people will clap, especially after a movie they think is like really smart. Um, mm-hmm. And ev- nobody seemed like they were clapping. They just kind of sat there and then slowly, quietly walked out. Uh, so... I don't know if you guys saw, but currently on the IMDb top 250, do you know where Joker currently ranks? Is it number seven? Uh, close. It's the number nine highest ranked movie of all time. Of all time? Wow. All time. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's just get some context. What's number eight and what's number 10? So number eight is Pulp Fiction. Okay. Number 10 is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So, so right I'll, in between. So I'll say I like of those three movies that I think this is, that's the order I would put them in. Wow. So, so I wouldn't I mean, put them 8, 9, 10, but I like Pulp Fiction the most, and then Joker, and then The Good, Bad, and The Ugly. So, yeah. I'm just going to preemptively complain right here when Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are nominated for Best Picture. I'm going to be very annoyed. I don't think Joker will be nominated for Best Picture uh, because there's just, it's too toxic. So it just like, won't get the consensus to like, get that far, I think. I think Joaquin Phoenix has a really good chance to, uh, to be nominated should. for Best Actor. Interestingly, I looked this up earlier. I don't know if you guys would know the answer to this. There's Joaquin Phoenix were to win. It would be the second person to win an Oscar for portraying the Joker. And there's one other character in the history of movies that, has, that two different people have won an Oscar for portraying. Is it Catwoman? It is not Catwoman. <laughs> only, only one of them was one. The other one was nominated, but didn't. Yeah. It. <laughs> I think it's Vito Corleone. It's Vito it? Corleone. And yeah, once again, that. we come back to uh, Robert De Niro again. So oh. well, here's, some, in there. here's some trivia for you. My, my brother texted me earlier today because he you know, keeps trying to text me reasons why this movie's great. And he <laughs> said, do you know what Robert De Niro's, this is Robert De Niro's highest opening weekend. He said, do you know what Robert De Niro's second highest opening weekend is? Uh, is it Little Fockers? No, I guess I said it was either meet the parents or analyze that. Neither was right. Oh, I don't know. Of? Um, I don't have. A, I can't. I mean, it would obviously have to be something recent. It's probably something that he's in, like a, he has like a cameo in or something, right? Yeah, Bad was, Grandpa. <laughs> it was Shark Tale. Shark oh, okay, Tale. Oh, duh. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe I didn't think of that. So, yeah. Also starred Martin Scorsese, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> he voiced the big puffer fish in Shark Tale, which is just a ridiculous fact. Oh. Martin Scorsese coming out with some hot takes about comic book movies. Yeah, he doesn't think that the Joker is uh, cinema. Yeah, it's a theme park, he said. He said comic movies are like theme parks, whatever that means. 
yeah, listen, Martin Scorsese, I'm going to go see your movie, but it really doesn't need to be six hours. <laughs> no kidding. It needs to be eight. Just thinking ahead, you know, we'll, we'll just do a little bit aside here. These movies that are now it's becoming a trend last year, Roma, and now there's going to be a bunch coming up this year of movies that are going to have like a limited run in theaters and then come out on Netflix like a month later. Are you guys going to go see these movies in theaters? Or are you just going to wait? Like when The Irishman comes out or Marriage Story, which are these are both probably going to be, you know, best picture nominees that everyone's going to be talking about. Are you going to like wait six weeks to see it or are you going to run to theater? It really depends on how close it's playing to me. Um, for Roma, I ended up seeing it at a film festival, but I don't think it was actually playing in any theaters like within within a couple hours of me. Probably the same with The Irishman. I'll go see it if it's like in my city, but just the fact that it's going to be on Netflix and in a month. And if it's at Regal, right? Yeah, and if it's, if it's at Regal and I don't have to pay. Yeah. I don't think they're going to even have them here. I'd be surprised if they, if they have them around here. Um, and, you know, I saw Roma at home with the lights on, and I, I regret that decision. I wish I would have seen it in the theater. So I, I saw Roma at home, and then I went to see it in the theater after because I was like, okay, I really need to like, watch this movie properly. I really liked it the first time, but I loved it the second time. Yeah, I rewatched it on my TV, and I was far less impressed the second time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think with these uh, Netflix movies, and before we actually started this podcast, Av and I were talking about like ways Netflix could be better. Um, not like they need our opinions because yeah. they're making tons of money. But read, read if you're listening. Yeah, uh, you know maybe that's a whole podcast on itself someday. But one thing that would be nice is if I could like pull up the Netflix app on my phone when I go buy this ticket and get like half price or something. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because if it's for free at home. I mean, I, I would, I prefer to see movies in theaters, but I also prefer money. So it's like, <laughs> I prefer money. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the regal card like you do. So I have to pay every time I go. Yes. I, yeah. I don't know if I would go pay to see these, but I, if they were in the AMC, then I think I would probably try to. Cause also like, as we've talked about before, like you're going to like the movie better if you see it in the theater, like especially yeah, a definitely. three, a three and a half hour movie, you're going to end up watching it over four days. Yeah. Yeah. I can open intermission that into a three and a half hour movie though. There should be intermission. Yeah, uh, Hateful Eight had intermission. I loved that it. That was great. I because... saw Hateful Eight at like a big event in D.C. where they had um, they had an intermission. It was in 70 millimeter. Yeah, I um, went to that one, the road show. Yeah, and you, yeah. Know, you don't even need the Run P app when there's an intermission because, no. you know, yeah. it's just two hour and a half movies. I and mean, even I can do that. Theater should be all about intermission because it gives people a chance to get up and buy more concessions. Yeah, it's like so obvious. I don't I don't know why they don't do it. In in uh, in Israel, Sammy would tell us. In Israel, I think maybe they stopped recently, but there it was, they were big believers in the intermission. Almost every movie had intermission. I don't know if there's a cultural reason for that, but that's the way. It I was. think my and, friend who lives in like Turkey it. said they have that as well. Yeah, so maybe it might, maybe I don't know. I don't know if they do that way in Europe or if it's like a, a Middle Eastern thing. But um, yeah, it's it's the way to go. It's the way to go. Yeah. All right, um, guys. Well, uh, it sounds like we don't have too much more to say about. Uh, Joker, do you guys have any last thoughts? Well, Will, I know you were very into the score, and I thought it was very good, too. So I don't know if you wanted to share anything about that. Oh, yeah. I, I really just love like the sort of uh, suspenseful strings. Um, it created a really nice atmosphere, and I've been listening to the score like all week on, on Spotify now. I've been meaning to, because people have been raving about the score, and I remember I thought it was good, but uh, I didn't, I didn't like, notice anything about it in particular. Mm. Yeah, well, I've I've been doing that all week with Taxi Driver, which I, th- nice. I think I, I think I mentioned about six or seven times that I just rewatched Taxi Driver. Um, oh, did that, you? Yeah, that that has to be one of the best scores ever written. It's just it's just incredible. I I people have been walking into my office. And they're like, "What are you listening to?" I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, "Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." I would like to give a, a shout out also just to the laugh that uh, that Joaquin Phoenix did. That Joker laugh, I and mean, it was different than any other Joker laugh we've had. And I thought it was. Yeah, oh, really it because it, it like it had like a sadness in it. 
Yeah. Of like, and he's like, you even see him. It's like, he's like in physical pain trying to stop. Um, and I, I actually, I thought it was really sweet the way that like his mom, like tried to like flip it into like, you're a person who like, will like fill the world with laughter. Um, which is like, sounds like the type of thing that you would like try to, to do to help a person like that. But obviously he was just like so damaged and. Yeah. It was like a half laugh, half cry. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of scores also, I was like, I know I watched a movie recently that had a great score. Uh, it was Phantom Thread. I watched yeah, Phantom oh, Thread. Yeah. Actually, oh, the yeah. same night I watched Joker, I, I came home and I was like, all right, I want to watch something else. And um, the next movie on my, my little movie ladder thing that I do where I watch movies related to the movie I watched after it in this list, it's, on, it's all on Letterboxd. You can see it. But Phantom Thread was the next movie I had up on that list. So I was like, oh, I'll just dive into Phantom Thread tonight. And uh, The score in that movie, I mean, that movie in general was great and um, I saw Av really liked it, but the score. Fantastic. Would you would you say that you think um, Joker was an origin story for Reynolds Woodcock? <laughs> yes, uh, definitely. You know, Reynolds Woodcock should have designed Joker's suits. Yeah, he could have uh, put his name in the in, yeah. the, in the lining. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that Phantom Threat score—that's Johnny Greenwood. He scores a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, and he—that's what I've read since that movie. So yeah, he did. To... He did uh, that. He did the Master. He did There Will Be Blood. Um, he's one of the. He's the guitarist for Radiohead. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, right. I know uh, Tom York has been doing a lot of score work. Um, yeah, 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 and uh, yeah. PTA just directed his. He had that like short film Anima. It was very oh, cool. yeah. It was on. Uh, I think it was on Netflix. It was very cool. Nice. Um, More you know. So yeah, what's, let, the, what's the next movie you guys are looking forward to that's coming out? Uh, that's a good question. I feel like uh, for the wrong reasons, probably Gemini Man. I think it's going to be really hilariously bad. Yeah, I'm not going to see that movie. <laughs> I, I when I saw the trailer for that I was like this looks great that's like the totally like the type of like sci-fi movies that I like so I'm sure I'm gonna be very disappointed by it but I, I actually am excited for Gemini Man even though it's probably not gonna be very good yeah the next um, movie I'm really excited for is Parasite probably just because I haven't seen it yet yeah that's that's the right answer that's that's gonna be one of your favorite movies of the year for sure I'm very much looking forward to it yeah, yeah I saw that. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to watch Wrinkles the Clown tonight, actually, after we're, after we're done. So I'll let you know how that is. Um, I'd say the next movie I'm really excited about is Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. That's yeah. coming out in a couple weeks. And... It's not, I think I've seen some takes that uh, some people are not understanding the point of that movie. Well, yeah, I mean, you make a movie about Hitler, some people are going to get confused. <laughs> Still a little. You know, that's, you know, some people are going to really like it. Some people are not going to like it. But, you know, that's what you do when you make a movie about Hitler. Yep. That's right, a great guys. way to add the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. That's what you All get right. when you make a movie about Hitler. Do we want to do our rankings of the various Jokers over the years? Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, let me. Yeah, so I mean, we have we have Jack, we have Heath Ledger, we have Joaquin Phoenix, we have Jared Leto, um, we have Cesar Romero, and Zach the- Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis, okay, and arguably Mark Hamill played him in the uh, in the oh, animated yeah. series, yeah, true. so we could throw him in there. I don't know if anyone, either of you, have seen it. I watched one episode of that this week. I watched the the movie. Yeah, I think I, I saw. I definitely saw the movie, and I probably saw some of the cartoon. Did either of you see the Killing Joke? Uh, no, I did not see the Killing Joke. No, but I read it. Yeah, it's supposed to be really good, and this is kind of like ten percent based on that kind of read of the Joker. Yeah, it's definitely very evil, and in, in at least the graphic novel. Yeah. That's what the, that's what I heard. I, yeah. I didn't have a chance to read it. Um, all right. So who wants to uh, who wants to give their rankings? 
I guess, what is that, sixth on the list? Seventh on the list would be Jared Leto because I didn't see Suicide Squad. Yeah, I, wa- I actually watched it this week for the first time. Just I was like, all right, I got to get these DC movies in at some point just to have, you know. I, I think I I'll probably even watch why. it before the second one comes out. Yeah. Because the second one actually sounds interesting. Yeah, this the Suicide Squad is as bad as advertised. It's as bad as you, you heard. <laughs> Jared Leto is one of the worst parts of it. Yeah, so yeah. so yeah, I would agree he's last. Probably Cesar Romero next because he was just like <laughs> too silly and just like too campy. Uh, I did yeah, love that the the sixties Batman movie growing up though with like it had so many villains and as a kid that one was really really fun. Yeah, it's, I like when you see the Batman villains trying to work together because yeah. it, it never works out. Yeah, that's always really fun. <laughs> After that, I'd probably put Zach Galifianakis from the Lego <laughs> Batman movie. Oh, that's what he was. Okay, yeah, I was, trying to... I was just jokingly. Oh, I thought well, you were talking about that like FX. Be... Yeah, isn't he like that FX show where he's a clown or something? <laughs> he's like in clown school. The baskets, oh, that, is that what that's that might also be a thing. But yeah, he voiced. Uh, yeah, he was in the Lego Batman movie yeah, as Joker. Right. Got it. Okay, I love All the right. first Lego movie, and I remember nothing of Lego Batman, but I did see it. Like I didn't remember Zach Galifianakis was in that movie. Yeah, it's the Lego movie is really went downhill after the first one. <laughs> the first one, yeah, was well, so good. Well, there's probably going to be more. So, yep. Hold on. I mean, the second one really. The second one was so money. bad. Yeah, it was not good. Yeah, I heard nothing about that. I kept being like, oh, I should go see this. I should go see this. And then I just heard, like, not good, not bad, just nothing about that movie. And I was like, yeah. oh, all right, maybe I can yeah. skip Yeah, I took my daughter to it, and she really liked it. But I think that's just because it was a movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was a movie. So far, her track record is whenever you ask her what your favorite movie is, it's the movie she's seen most recently. Yeah, that that's... So it's, it's a fun, it's a fun stage. It's it's nice to live that way, though, right? Can you imagine if just like every time you went to movie, you're like, "That's my favorite movie ever." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's how I was when I was a kid, and then I saw Back to the Future too, and that remained my favorite movie for like twenty years, thirty years. Really? You're you're wow. two two over one. Uh, I. <laughs> You know, as I like appreciate movies more, I like yeah, one you know, better. But you know, it's a wrong take, but you want yeah, it to but be. But two, two has like the nostalgia value for me. Yeah, um, I, and, and I actually I took history of film in high school, and we had to write an essay about our favorite movie. And the teacher laughed when I wrote my essay about Back to the Future Part Two. Yeah, I mean the way they explain time travel in that movie, like the first time you see that when you're a kid, it's like, oh my god, that's so cool. Yeah. And now it's like you you know that's like the most basic time travel and growing up and oh 2015 is the future and there's gonna be hover cars and now we're well <laughs> past that and it was not as good as 2015 <laughs> yeah well and then as they said the cubs won the world series and biff is president that's true they're just a couple years off on those one year off on those yeah yeah um anyway let's uh let's let's round down so we got um i think we put, we'll probably put hamill next i don't know um i might have hamill above above nicholson yeah, I really like the Jack Nicholson Joker. Yeah, I do too. It might um, just be like um, one of them I watched as a kid, though. Yeah, I guess the truth is I only saw one episode of the animated, so I shouldn't, you know, really rank it. Um, but it, it seemed okay, but I, I really like the Jack Nicholson one. Um, He's the number one animated Joker, though. Definitely For number sure. one animated yeah. Joker. Yeah. Right ahead of Nigalifanakis, who's the number one computer-generated Joker. <laughs> um, okay, so what do we got? We t- Our top two or top three? Top Three. Well, yeah. I, I mean, Will doesn't have uh, Nicholson in his top three. Right. But I think okay. he's outvoted. Okay. Yeah, I'm outvoted. All right. So then I think we would, do we all agree that Heath Ledger Jokers was better than this? I do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would say Heath Ledger number one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is in a way like a more interesting character, but like that was a better Joker. Like, not even a question. Yeah. I mean, I think that was just a more 
career defining performance. Yeah. Um, but what, what you can say about Joaquin Phoenix and the way he did this is that he didn't turn into a complete asshole for six months like Jared Leto and he didn't kill himself like Heath Ledger. So you might say that Joaquin Phoenix is the best Joker. It's true. It's, those are, those are valid points. <laughs> Although he might've been well. an asshole on the set, right? Yeah, but like Jared Leto, there were like these like legendary stories about just like crazy things that he would do and say to people. Oh, that's yeah. right. I mean, he talked about it. Like he sent people condoms in the mail. Yeah, it was because he became a total maniac. Yeah. On that note, thank you for talking to me today, guys, about the Joker. Yeah, it was um, fun. If anyone wants to uh, subscribe to the podcast, there are probably ways to do that. Yeah, how do they do that, Alf? Um, you could search for 32 Fans Movies on Anywhere you get podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Casts. Oh, shout out to my new, I just got a new podcast app like a couple weeks ago. It's called Player FM and it's the best podcast app I've ever used. I tried Pocket Casts and I didn't like it. Um, Player FM has so many features and and this podcast is on there too. You just search for it. it Oh, so that's all you need to know. 30 fans on there. I'm in for that. Let's go. Get the app, get get the subscription. So Follow you us all on Letterboxd, too, because we all have good movie takes on there. We're oh, all yeah. on Letterboxd. We're, uh, we're all on Twitter. We'll put, uh, we'll put our info in the episode description. So after you've finished listening to this, which you're because you're still listening at this point. No one stopped 30 minutes ago. No chance. They missed the Joker stopped. rankings if they stopped. That's right. Yeah, that would be, you know, we'll put in that. That's where our Joker rankings are. So then yeah. we'll skip ahead to that and then they'll hear this and then they'll go nice. follow us on Letterboxd and we'll become famous movie critics. That's how it works. Yep. That's We've saw your dreams, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll talk to you later. Don't you approve One who keeps tearing around One who can't move Where are the clowns Send in the clown